This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Sterling Moon. I'm a professional medium, diviner, and folk magician, and the author of Talking to Spirits, a modern medium's practical advice for spirit communication, and you're listening to The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gaiman. Pantheon Podcast presents, from Hollywood, California, The Devil's Music with Pleasant You are invited to join the Hollywood princess as she explores her lifelong pursuits in the occult, sex, love, and that sinful rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, step into the dark parlor of Pleasant Gaiman as she brings you The Devil's Music. Hey there. This is Pleasant Gaiman, and you're listening to The Devil's Music, a Pantheon podcast. A little bit about me. I'm a punk rock witch from Hollywood, California. I've had a lifelong passion for rock and roll and the occult that started when I was a preteen. In the 70s, I was one of the first punks in L.A., and as a teenager, I worked at the Whiskey A Go-Go, started producing shows, and made a Xerox fanzine called Lobotomy, which led me to write for every major rock publication you could think of. In the 80s and the 90s, I fronted three bands. I'm a best-selling author with eight books out and more on the way. For the past 30 years, I've toured around the globe to teach and perform dance. You might have also seen me acting or dancing in music videos, feature films, and documentaries. Look for me in the new Go-Go's documentary. To find out more about me or to book a tarot reading, go to my website, pleasantgaiman.com. I'm really excited to be part of the Pantheon Podcasts network of rock and roll shows. Everyone here at Pantheon tells stories about the music we just adore so much, each and every one with a different twist. Find them all wherever you listen to podcasts at Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Pandora, anywhere you get your favorite podcast fix. 
and head on over to PantheonPodcast.com to share a show with a friend. Or be damned to purgatory forever. Everybody, this is Pleasant Gaiman, as you know. Welcome to the Devil's Music. Today, my guest is a really amazing woman. She's also a really good friend of mine. Melissa St. Hilaire is a witch, a psychic, a medium, and so much more. She's got a new docu-series coming out, which premieres on fortuitously she didn't plan this friday october 13th and it's called secrets of the craft um it's all about witches and how we work our craft and uh you know there's several interviews on there disclaimer including mine but of course you know i'm all nepotistic like that um anyway secrets of the craft premieres on friday the 13th on dead air spectrum which you can also find on youtube and so without any further ado please meet the wondrous melissa st hilaire hello hi how are you and thank you so much for having me pleasant this is so fun <laughs> <laughs> i know i can't wait for everybody to hear the the shit we talk about <laughs> I know. I was thinking about that earlier. I was like, I was like, what shall we touch upon? Do we want to talk about forming our own cult? That might be fun. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, also Melissa's a crazy cat lady, and um, we both had to do major prep so that our kitties didn't like wander across the Zoom. Not that you guys could see it, but you know, at the risk of knocking things over and stuff like that. Um, so. One of the things that I loved about you immediately when we first met was that you were the most rock and rolly witch, pretty much, that I'd ever met, except for um, Madame Pamita. So uh, let, let's talk about your rock and roll stuff first, like who are your favorite bands or what was, what was your first concert or favorite concert? Oh, gosh. You know, I was raised in a rock and roll household. My mom was a hippie. And so, you know, I was raised on like everything from, you know, gosh, Bruce Springsteen to, of course, Stevie Nicks, Fleetwood Mac and all that good stuff. And but my favorite band is is U2, which I know is not super witchy. <laughs> no, but she moves in mysterious ways is so good. That's like their witchiest song. Yeah, it really is. I, you know, I first, I met them when I was 18 years old. Well, I met Bono when I was 18 years old because I, um, I, I was in uh, high school still and I heard on the radio what he was staying at the Four Seasons Hotel in Boston. And, uh, and I called my mom and I was like, yo, <laughs> I need to go to Boston right now to see Bono. And so she called the school and got me dismissed and told me like, you know, what, 
you know, I had to go and take the tea. That's the Boston subway. She's like, okay, drive here, take the tea, have money with you, you know, get off at this station and blah, blah, blah. And you'll see, you know, whatever. And so I get to meet Bono and like, gosh, what was that? March 16th, 1992, I think it was. And we talked for a while. I mean, he talked for a while. I kind of just stood there and (laughs) star eyed like (laughs) a crazy person, but he was super nice. And that sort of that sort of started like my obsession with, you know, rock and roll and going to concerts and like that whole vibe and that energy. Cause like, even though I'd been to other concerts before, he was the first person that really like, he, he just shined extra bright to me. And since then I've met him many, many times. And people often joke that I have U2 ESP because, and this was like before I called myself a psychic or a medium, but my friends, my like other like rock and roll friends, they'd always be like, how do you know exactly like where he's going to stay and when he's going to come out? And so I'm like, I don't know. I just know. And it just works out every time. But, you know, I also kind of think he's a little bit psychic in a medium because like there's something on stage when he's performing. It's like, you know, there's uh, during any U2 concert, this happens There's a moment and he often jokes and calls it when, you know, God walks in the door. But I like to say when spirit walks in the door. Yeah. But it's there's a moment where you just every single person, whether it's, you know, I saw them at the Apollo Theater in New York, which is like a tiny little theater. And I've seen them in a stadium with 70,000 people. It doesn't matter how big or small the venue is. There's a moment when the light like it's like everyone is just lifted up, you know, and. I didn't know what to call it then, but now I'm like, I think he's channeling like I really do. And then since then, I've started to look at other rock and rollers when they're on stage. I have this friend, Leah, and she's um, I'm going to now blank on Sloth Rust is her band. And I told her she's got the same thing when she's on stage. It's like she lifts people up and there's this extra light sort of coming down through her and like out to the audience. And so now I'm obsessed with like any concerts I go to trying to see if the lead singer has this same or any band member has that same ability to like, you know, channel that energy. It's just, I don't know. It's one of my favorite feelings on the planet. Yeah. I love that. Whenever, whenever I'm at um, concerts or even a small club, when that moment happens and I know exactly what you're talking about, it happens and it's just like the whole the whole atmosphere is just transported and then the odd thing to me is that um thank god you listeners can't see me because i was just wiping my nose (laughs) i'm glad they can't see me because i literally i'm like i I was up late i just rolled out of bed (laughs) okay okay but back to back to our topic yes um (laughs) So anyway, when you get that energy in a club, and I've seen it so many times, I've seen it with the Ramones, I've seen it with Blondie, the cramps all the time, um, you know, and some, uh, so you'll, you'll have that big, you know, transformative experience that you're sharing with the whole venue. But then if you listen to the board mix, um, you know, or like if they release like a live at wherever, you know, like music afterwards, you don't get that because that that feeling is only in the room. 
Yes, that is so true. I have so many live albums and and it misses that entirely. And it's it's such a disappointment because you think you're going to like recapture that feeling. Yeah. But you can't you have to be there. You have to feel it. You know, another band that I've seen a lot. My second favorite band is Nine Inch Nails, and I've seen them a ton of times and they do the same thing. It's this, they have this ability to just transport you to another world and then it's so, and it's such a cool feeling because it's, it's like, you know, I suppose that was what people, some people say they get in church, but I never, right. <laughs> I never, <laughs> it never happened, but you know, I get it in the concerts. I also, but I, you know, I have felt it at ritual. I have to oh, say. I was just going to say that. I feel that at ritual too. Yeah. But, um, you know, that's usually like a much like that doesn't happen normally in a in a whole stadium unless you're like really a master cult leader, like like when we get cult famous. No. <laughs> the the reason the reason Melissa and I are babbling about this is because we were on an astrology we're both on an astrology app, but I always wanna I always think of starting cults and I I hadn't been on the app in a long time, so I logged on to it. And the first thing that came up was, was it said, start a cult with Melissa. And this was really late at night. So I texted her a screenshot of it. So um, this might be the last time you hear us before we're like major worldwide cult leaders. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a funny thing too, is as soon as you had texted me, I, I, would, I don't remember what I was doing, but I was like puttering around my house doing something prior to that message coming. And I was literally thinking in my head, no, but really, maybe I do want to start a cult. Like that could be kind of fun. <laughs> but that's all because I watched, I recently binge watched Strange Angel. I don't, and um, that's a, a TV show about Jack Parsons and he joins is it Thelema? Is that Thelema? How you pronounce it? Uh, Thelema or Thelema? I don't know. I've heard people say it both ways, so I alternate. <laughs> I don't know, like it's Thelema, 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 Thelema. But, um, but yeah. And then, like you know, I I started thinking about Aleister Crowley, which I don't know much about Aleister Crowley. I've I've I've, I've had a lot of friends who've been really into him and his writings. Um, I read the book of the law and I, I just didn't like, that's what it's called, right? The book of the law. Yeah. Wait, and I'm going to interrupt you for one second to tell the listeners in case you guys, most people know who Alistair Crowley is, but you may not know who Jack Parsons is. And um, he was a rocket scientist and him and his wife were really, really into witchcraft. <laughs> he was a famous rocket scientist. Famous, yeah, and he he's the one who created uh, JPL, JPL. Which, yeah, everybody knows JPL. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. So who only knows like what, what happened when their rockets went off, what went into space? <laughs> But he was well, really into Aleister Crowley too. <laughs> he was. And so, you know, so now I'm fascinated. Of course, the TV show has a lot of, you know, it's inspired by. So I know that there's a lot of stuff that's not factual that's in that show, but it's it's now it's gotten me intrigued. And I'm like, oh, now I want to read like everything about Jack Parsons, everything about Aleister Crowley, everything about the Lima. But you know, that's just how my mind works. Like I start to get you know, I get excited on one little thing and then I have to take the deep dive. Tell everyone the name of the um the documentary you're watching so they can watch it if they want. Oh, the well, the TV show is just called Strange Angel, but it's based on a book. And I feel like I I haven't read the book yet, but that's what I want to do next. But I, I watched it on Paramount Plus just before I canceled my membership. There's a, there's also a really great book about his wife called Wormwood Star because she was she was really into witchcraft too. Um, I, mean, I have to think of a finer combination like space exploration and witchcraft. <laughs> I mean, it goes hand in hand. Like it's it's so strange to me that people, you know, like. I get so many comments, not so much now, but early on when I started doing my American Witch 13 Instagram account, I would get so many comments from people who are like, this is BS, you know, what about science, blah, blah, blah. Like as if to say that magic and science can't exist, can't coexist, but they can coexist. And in fact, the ancients believed that they were pretty much one in the same. You know, if you look at alchemy, alchemy is a perfect blend of science and magic. Yes. And also, I mean, what about any kind of herbal work, you know, herbs and figuring out what kind of healing properties they have, let alone the properties they have for witchcraft. That is, that is 
full on science. I mean, you had to be scientific, even though they may not have used that name, you know, in the olden, olden, olden days. But I mean, you had to know what you were um, mixing up to give to someone to heal them from, from something, let alone like, you know, what kind of other properties the herbs had. So yes. Totally. And like, you know, I'm taking um, an astrology class right now with Jarrell. <laughs> and I, you know, cause I've been sort of like, I've always sort of like been on the outside of astrology. I wrote horoscopes when I was in college. That was like a thing I did for the college paper. So I've always been interested in astrology, but I never took the full blown deep dive to learn how to do a natal chart. You know, I just kind of did the the peripheral stuff that can help you with like planetary magic and things like that. And, um, recently, like a couple of months ago, I started reading this book, uh, by Henry, uh, wait, uh, Henry Cornelius Agrippa. And I think that's his name, but it's called the, the three books of occult philosophy. And I got to like one part in the book where, cause it's basically like what all modern magic is based on is this freaking book. And of course his book is based on ancient Egyptian magic and even older stuff. But I was like, okay, I want to go to the source of modern magic. And I start reading this book. And then I get to this one part, like very, you know, just a couple chapters in. And he's like, he basically says, I'm going to paraphrase. If you don't know astrology, stop right now. You won't understand any more of this book on a deeper level. Go learn astrology and come back. And I'm like, damn it. Okay. <laughs> so I was like, okay, the universe is telling me I have to, it's like funny. Cause you want to take a deep dive on one thing, but then the universe is like, you can't take this deep dive if you don't know how the fabric of reality works, you know? And so I start looking at astrology and it's like, and again, it's science and magic, you know, in today's world, you have astronomy and you have astrology and there's like a vast divide between the two. Yeah. 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 You know, and you have people who are like, ah, oh, Mercury retrograde is total BS. It does nothing. And, you know, how could the planets possibly and the stars possibly have anything to do with us like down here on Earth? And like, but the but the more that you live and the more that you start to pay attention to what the planets are doing, you start to realize, oh, my God, that there is a weird alignment there is you know is it just a coincidence and if a coincidence becomes a pattern is it a coincidence anymore you know every time mercury goes retrograde all of my electronics blow up i mean too like, i mean i'm knocking on wood right now because i mean you know i have that electrical explosion problem with myself uh, which is what i use for healing now so it's gotten a little bit lighter but yeah mercury retrograde like my calendar um, I keep a paper calendar, you guys, um, as well as like a calendar on my phone. But my, it looks like modern art. There's so many crossouts from plans changing and things getting delayed. And um, I'm sure the listeners have problems with Mercury retrograde too. Anybody who thinks it's not real is is stupid. S T O O P I T. Well, you know, I just and I always think it's like kind of a bummer and they think we're stupid because we live by the stars and the planets but you know it's made my life so much better I feel so much more in control of things because I can I can prepare I can look at how the I, you know it's not like it's predicting the future for me it's just or anybody else it's just kind of giving you a, a, a map how do you, how do you navigate the next couple of days or weeks or months or years so that you can thrive you know what I mean and it's like and I 
I just it bums me out when people are so like sciencey people are so anti astrology because I mean, the ancients used this. It used to be controlled by the the elite, you know, by the 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 governments and the royalties and everybody in charge. And they would plan coronations around this stuff. They would plan major battles around this stuff. Yeah, and that, same with know? numerology too. I mean, all of that stuff. It's a, and also it's it's all so mixed into a fabric of. Um, like you said, major events and just other things. And like, also what about how, whatever sign you're born under, almost every person you meet definitely has the traits of that sign. Or if you know what their, um, you know, what their moon and their ascendant sign is, then you can see why maybe they don't present as a certain sign, but then that, you know, but then that, you know, the traits are coming out in other ways. It's, it's, sometimes when I start thinking about this, it just blows my mind that it's been going on for so many centuries and, you know, like, how does it work? It just works. All right. It does. We got to take a little tiny break. Um, so we're going to listen to some music for a few seconds and then we will be right back. gives us light has been gone a while but it's not an illusion the ache in my heart is so much a part and here Melissa St. Hilaire and I are back talking about talking about all sorts of witchy witchy stuff so um so let let's talk about um let's talk about your your series that's going on like and who who you um who you interviewed and how you even came up with it and uh I think yeah it's, it's gonna be great so t tell everybody about that so um I I've been on I have to go back to get to the, I have to go back a little ways to get to the show. So I was on a show called Dead Air a bunch of times as a guest because I'm also a medium and a paranormal investigator. And they created their own channel. So it's Dead Air. It used to be just Dead Air, like a podcast, you know, live streaming type thing. And then, and now they have a full, uh, a full channel, which is Dead Air Full Spectrum. And they wanted to add more programming. And they were like, hey, do you want to come up with a show for us? And I sat and I thought about it and I was like, I do. Yes, I do want to come up with a show, but I want to focus not so much on my mediumship because I, I do a lot with that. You know, I was like, I want to focus more on my witchcraft, you know, and more than that, I want to focus on witches themselves because, you know, there's still to this day, a lot of stigma around what a witch even is and, and how they practice and what they do and what they believe in. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that one of my ancestors was hanged by Cotton Mather in Massachusetts. Oh, for, my goodness. Or bad yeah, news for, in the case, maybe. Yeah, they called him, they called him the, um, a child of Belial. <laughs> <laughs> 
so it's like, okay, I want to like, I want to, you know, and, he, and none, none of my family members were that, you know what I mean? They were not, none of them were negative. None of, none of them were evil to my knowledge. You know what I mean? A lot of them were healers. A lot of them were naturally psychic and clairvoyant and things like that. But, you know, to my knowledge, none of them did anything, you know, that would warrant being hung. But anyway, so I wanted to do this show and like kind of shine a light in all my friends who are witches and just you know, show what the everyday witch looks like. And I wanted to interview a bunch of different people. I didn't want to just, you know, have everyone who does the same thing. You know what I mean? I also wanted to show one of the beauties of witchcraft to me is you can, you can really tailor suit it to yourself, you know, and like what works for you. Some people are, are more dogmatic and they need structure. So they might go a more traditional Wiccan route, you know, where it's, it's got more of like almost a Christian dogma to it, even though it's witchcraft, you know, yeah. but then you have other people who want order and structure in a different way. And they might go with ceremonial magic, you know, but then you have chaos magic and you have nature magic. And, you know, there's so many different ways you've got hoodoo and voodoo and, um, was it Stregeria? I always pronounce that word wrong. <laughs> Santeria. Santeria and Stregeria. Stregeria? Yeah, I'm so sorry. My Alexa okay, oh, And Melissa's having a problem with her guest, Alexa, who doesn't want to shut up. <laughs> it doesn't. It's been doing its own thing all day. It's been playing music on its own. It's been throwing alarms that I didn't set. I don't know. It's been crazy. I'm Mercury retrograde. <laughs> <laughs> she's having fun with it <laughs> I know I'm like I thought I unplugged everything but yeah so um so I interviewed you of course Pleasant you were fantastic and oh and the other thing that I wanted to say about Secrets of the Craft part of it is I wanted to not only interview everyone every witch that I talked to but I also wanted to have a little segment at the end that where they revealed a secret of their craft hence the title and in some cases that might be like, you know, energy healing as it is in your case, pleasant, or it might be how one, um, you know, uses their tarot cards to, you know, practice divination. It might be a particular spell. Like one of, one of the people I interviewed is Carrie, who is the co-owner of the green man store. And she shared this amazing spell that I cannot wait to air. It's the first episode. I can't wait to air it because I really feel like this spell is going to help a lot of people. I did it myself because I was like, Ooh, let's try it. And it worked like a charm. It's a really, really great spell. It worked like a charm. Cause that's what it was. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean that 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 just that just goes like to to like who knows how old that phrase is, but that's just been a regular phrase in society for for like decades or centuries, and that and that that itself is like just you know it's such an old saying that that's right from witchcraft. It is. It is. That's so funny. I never even thought of it like that. Um, but yeah, you know, so it's, it's been fun, you know, it's been fun to sit down with all these different witches and, and chat with them. And then the editing process has been, um, a lot of work, but then it's fun to like, sort of, you know, edit and relearn everything that everyone is sharing on the show. And I don't know, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be fun. (laughs) Well, it can't not be. Because for anyone who's listening, witchcraft is fun. It's also we take it very seriously, but there's 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 a lot of fun in that. Just like 
like there would be in any anything that you do, you know, that you enjoy. So yeah, I think I think it's I like to look at it like I take the craft seriously, but I don't take myself too seriously. That's exactly, that- exactly me too. Yeah. Because, and so um when when did you when did you start to get into it because for me it was around age 11 or 12 and that was that was um that was in the very early well I was I was interested in ghosts and and stuff like that younger when in the 60s but in the early 70s was when I was really getting into learning tarot and just really wanting to be a witch not not even thinking that it was possible because I thought it was from the olden days and there was no internet but that that was that was like a hashtag goals for me <laughs> it was the same for me so like I started seeing <clears throat> ghosts when I was uh, I think I was perfect I started seeing ghosts when I was three years old because I didn't really understand that I was seeing a ghost you know I didn't really know what I was seeing I, yeah. I just kind of that's how the world I just thought everybody could see right that, that was exactly me when you're little like that and I mean I also like I was also doing doing things like astral projecting when I was really little like I can remember flying in and out of the windows of the house and cruising around the house like horizontal you know and because I was so little it was like at the height of the dining room chairs and doing stuff like that now I thought that was totally normal for until way after I was an adult damn I used to do the same thing I grew up next to a cornfield so I would imagine because I was I'm like a you know country girl at heart even though I'm in Los Angeles now yeah me too I grew up out in the sticks like (laughs) it is like I would fly out my window I'd flow over the top of the cornfield and then my grandma lived on the other side of the cornfield so I'd like flow over into her yard and you know I did I always just kind of thought that's that's what you did when you went to sleep you just would rise out of your body and go places I thought that was normal I, I did too I mean it took me a really really long time to realize that it wasn't you know I mean, but in hindsight, I don't think I ever discussed it with anybody because I think I thought everyone could do it, you know? I mean, not like I would have had an intellectual discussion when I was that young, but, you know. I actually did have somewhat of an intellectual discussion. I mean, at three, it's not, you know, I mean, it's a it's limited intellect, but yeah. my I, I did walk in on my grandma crying, and this is more about ghosts, but I watched my grandma crying once, and um, it was right after my grandfather died which is how I know I was three. Cause he died when I was three and she, she, I asked her why she was crying and she said, because grandpa is gone. And I was like, no, he's not. He's right over there. And I pointed to the corner and I don't remember much of the conversation after that, but I do remember that I had, I remember her asking me questions and me answering. I remember her being not necessarily shocked, but like, taken aback a little bit by the answer yeah like you knew yeah I knew and and but she also was a bit psychic like she predicted what my birth she she predicted all kinds of stuff so she had it too and uh in fact my grandfather they got married in Salem mass and my grandfather used to say that he went to Salem to get himself a witch for a wife (laughs) so (laughs) see fairies you know she would tell me she taught me as I got older she taught me how to you know hear the spirits better and how to talk to them and how to see fairies and talk to them and ask for things so even though like 
she wasn't, she, I don't think she was out in public as a practicing witch. I don't think yeah. she would have ever used but she was very witchy. So I had that influence like really early on, but I didn't, I wouldn't say that I actually started thinking about practicing until I was about the same age as you, like 12, where, you know, I would see my mom, she would go to psychics in Provincetown every summer and, you know, ask them questions and stuff. And so I would just kind of hang back and like, look at the tarot cards and look at the crystals and look at all the silver jewelry. And I would be so drawn to it. Like everything told a story to me, you know? Yeah. And she bought me my first tarot deck when I was 12 and man, I used those darn things every single day. I was obsessed with them. Yeah. You know, was the I same would... age that I got them. Yeah. Yeah. But mine was, what was yours? Mine was the, the mythic tarot, the Greek one. Well, I'm a lot older than you. So mine was the IJJ Swiss tarot. And um, for anyone that's listening, that's a Marseille deck. You know, uh, like if you know the difference between that, it's hard to explain. It's not Rider Waite Smith where you can just read every picture, even if you don't know tarot. It doesn't have the kind of pictures that told the story. So I could sort of tell what was going on in the major arcana, but in the minor arcana, I would be like, oh, look, there's a bunch of swords. What does that mean? You know, I I mean, I had no idea because it didn't come with a book, but I would give like my little girlfriends readings and, um, you know, or think I was doing readings, but it was, they would always say like either stuff came true or that was exactly right. You know, so yeah. Same weird thing. Like, the Marseille deck, I just have to say, the Marseille, that is a really hard deck to use. I have that and I tried it. It is hard. Um, but the, I like the Mythic deck, which is also different from the Rider Waite because it's based more on Greek mythology. And I was obsessed with Greek mythology back then. Oh, so was and, I. I was too, ever since I was little. I, I was like way into it. Yeah. It's like, I I just, I could, I could fall asleep at night. I would like imagine being in these places and Zeus coming up and talking to me or having like, you know, asking Athena a bunch of questions. I would have all these like vivid fantasies in my mind that I, that I knew the whole pantheon and I could like go to them. And this is before I thought of myself as a witch, you know, you're, you're saying like exactly my childhood. This is so crazy. (laughs) it's so I think so I, I think sometimes we're we're chosen which is not to say that not anybody can be a witch because literally anybody can be a witch yeah but like but sometimes I wonder is it a past life thing where we were a witch in a past life so we're like born into this with all this knowledge like I don't know what it is but it's always kind of been around me and like I was always obsessed with you know ghost stories and and like vampires and fairies and demons and and like what you know like what all these things what are they and you know I devoured all of Anne Rice's books and things like that and yeah her books weren't around until I was a lot older but yes you know any of that I was I was obsessed with all of that I do think it's I do think it has to do with past life memories for sure because and that certainly wasn't like, you know, watching Gumby on, on TV or, you know, the Brady Bunch or whatever, whatever, like in my day, you know, let alone whatever you, it wasn't, it, that stuff wasn't in, in popular culture then the way that it is now. And now it's everywhere, which is really cool, but also, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to go on a tangent about this, but also, you know, there's so many people 
um, being witches, you're saying they're witches. There's also a lot of like not very good information out there as well as like gems of, of knowledge, you know? Oh gosh. Yeah. We're in an ultimate time of disinfo. I swear to God. There's just so much. It's like, it's not, cause it's not even just misinformation. I mean, there's definitely misinformation cause you can see stuff where like, you know, someone, you know, under, thinks they understand something and then spreads it, but that they didn't really fully understand it. But there's also disinfo where it seems like there's a lot of people trying to get other people off track. You know what I mean? As if, as if to like steer us away from the truth of witchcraft. Oh, you mean on purpose? Really? Yeah. And I feel like, you know, for me, it's, it's, then it becomes, that's where my mediumship comes into play. Cause I call on my spirit guides and, and just all my, you know, my feeling and my intuition of like all the stuff that I'm reading, what feels true, what doesn't feel true. Can, and then I take it to the logical place after that. Can I back it up with research? You know, is, is there, is there a path back to the ancients that proves this thing? You know what I mean? And, you know, so much of it is, it's, it's so much simpler and so much more complicated <laughs> than I think people realize, you know, cause in some ways it's as simple as, you know, having an intention and setting and setting a space and, and creating an energy. But then that's also complicated because do you, do you have the fortitude to do that? You know, are you, have you like quieted your own subconscious or broken through your own blocks and your traumas in order to be able to set an intention without sabotaging yourself? And like, and then you look at all the different ways that people practice witchcraft, all the different, you know, avenues that they take. And one path might be so vastly different. Like you look at some, some ceremonial magic is like vastly different to traditional witchcraft, but then other parts completely intersect. And, and then there are crossroads where all of them intersect. So I just, I just find it interesting. And I, I try to look for through all that disinfo and misinfo, I try to look for patterns and repeating things, yeah. you know, like what pops up in every tradition. Well, there's gotta be truth there, you know? Yeah, if if a, if a bunch of different traditions um, of witchcraft are using certain certain tools or certain practices there, then that that's what that's what you know. Those are obviously the best, but I mean that's also I I relate that to music a lot too because there's through ways in music just like that. I mean you can't say that like John Coltrane sounds like like the Sex Pistols or like, you, you know, or like any, anybody else. But I mean, there, you know, there's, there's some things that are foundational in music that everyone accesses or is interested in or is influenced by, which I, I think is really interesting. So I've always made that comparison between music and witchcraft in that way too. I mean, I'm sure it's, I'm, I'm sure it might be like that in, in other you know, and other types of, of art or, um, you know, just pr life practices too. Like, oh, you know. totally. Yeah. I mean, I also think music is witchcraft. To I a certain do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but think about the things that you can accomplish with sound, you know, like, um, well, I mean, like a good example is Sesame Street. <laughs> I mean, that's going to sound really crazy, but like those little songs got kids to spell and count and and stuff. Uh, you know, that was transformative in a witchcraft way, if you ask me. I mean, this is the, 
that's not like I've thought about this before. This is the first time I'm saying it, but I mean, yeah, you know, like you, you will like, like, why do we remember shitty songs from like the seventies that were top 40 hits that we hated, but why do we still remember every word? Cause it was set to music. It's true. Those hooks that get into you. And, that, and I think that's also why like some, you know, like I used to go to Catholic services when I was young. My oh my grandma. God, I was obsessed with Catholicism when I was young. We're like the same person. <laughs> but you'd get in there and they'd be like, you know, you'd have the little, uh, are they called ushers? I don't know. The little guys, you know, they walk down the center and they've got the, the incense burners. Incense burners. You've got your frankincense and your myrrh billowing out and if you know anything about frankincense and myrrh it has a little bit of a hallucinogenic property to it so as you're sitting there in church breathing in all this incense and resin you're you're kind of getting a little euphoric you know and then they add in these you know these hymns that everybody sings in unison and you're sort of like then you're like lulled I don't know it's almost like hypnosis in a way like you're you're kind of all sort of group lulled into a certain you know altered state of mind and that's the same thing as like going to a concert you know (laughs) yes exactly it's a shared experience in that way it is people could come out of a church and just bet you know have their minds blown by you know the sermon and the singing uh, that was like better on one specific day than it was on others you know And I feel like it all boils down to like frequencies and vibrations. You know, there are certain frequencies that they hit us a certain way and they make us feel a certain way. And to like go back to U2 for a second, there's a song by U2 called Where the Streets Have No Name. And when you see that song, when you when you see that performed live, the opening chords to that song, and I would love to see like someone who studies musical sounds and how they affect people like, you know, binaural beats and uh, solfeggio harmonies and things like that. It'd be interesting to see them study the opening notes of streets because they give me, it gives me chills every time. You know, there's certain types of music that immediately gives me chills. I feel it in my body and yeah, I feel yeah. like, I'm, like being ripped out and like thrown up into the astral space, like instantly, you know, and it's, and it just, it's, it's interesting to me because that it's, you know, music touches us on such a level. I don't think anything else really is like music, to be honest. I mean, I feel like some stuff can come close, but music is, I mean, paintings, art, obviously can also transform us. But yeah, music seems- yeah, that's a little more passive though, kind of, you know, it's more, it's more observational. I mean, you can still get goosebumps looking at a Botticelli or something, but it doesn't, <clears throat> aside from that, it's not as physical, you know, you have a physical reaction to something beautiful, but. We need to take another little break here. We are back and talking 
with Melissa St. Hilaire about how music affects us, how art affects us, and um, how we do magic. Yeah, and I feel like it's also tied to to mediumship and channeling as well, because, you know, oftentimes when I'm, I'm not a musician, um, but when I'm doing the stuff that I do do, that's art, I write, I write poetry and other things, and I also draw, and when I'm in that flow, you know, my, my, it's like my logic brain shuts off. It's like, I'm, I feel, and I feel like connected to something higher. You know, when I was younger, I, I took more of a, um, I don't know what, like a psychological approach to it, I guess. And I would say that I'm, I was, you know, mainlining the collective unconscious, but, you know, to me now that's the astral plane. That's, that's where, witchcraft gets its power from you know what I mean and it's it feels like it's all connected you know yeah I feel like I feel like that's all connected you know in in a way that we can't even begin to unravel totally yeah that kind of stuff sometimes like that that kind of thing elates me but sometimes I also get frustrated because I I'm like, I want to learn this now. I want to do that. I want to like, like, I remember one time, one time I was in a, in a, in a truck stop in Tennessee. Um, and it was like a barbecue place and a truck stop and all this stuff. And on the way out, um, the guy was like, miss, we're handing out Bibles. Would you like one? And I said, no. And I got that. I got way far down the road and I was like, shit, why didn't I get a Bible? I could start like doing more hoodoo. Cause I would <laughs> have the verse references (laughs) i mean it's true the bible is a wonderful grimoire you know there's there's so many spells in it (laughs) i know and so many supernatural happenings too i gotta say totally yeah there are i mean there's you know it's uh, like what is the burning bush really you said that (laughs) because I was just gonna talk about the burning bush. I was gonna say when when Kid Congo first joined the cramps, he he was on stage at the Roxy and he turned around and somehow his hair caught on fire and he kept playing and he didn't notice. And then everyone was calling him the burning bush right after that. And this was this was predating when Michael Jackson's hair caught on fire. Oh my god! I, I, seriously, I was I was just gonna say. Well, that's why I made that insane noise just now because I was just gonna say that. <laughs> well, that's a big thing because I was like, "What can I bring up from the Bible?" And all of a sudden, the burning bush popped into my head. <laughs> How come there hasn't been like a like a um a company that does porn called the Burning Bush? <laughs> really, I know. Jeez. <laughs> Maybe there is. <laughs> Maybe that's going to be part of our cult. We'll turn them out. <laughs> oh, man. Now the cult is going into a strange place. <laughs> well, we got to finance it somehow. No. <laughs> I was kind of wondering what it would be like to write porn, actually. Years ago. Oh, okay. when I, I, have a, I have a story about writing porn. It's not exactly. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Um. So. Um, way before the internet and way very much at the beginning of of um of when they started having like sex lines you couldn't talk to a live person you would you would call up a sex line and you'd listen to pre-recorded tapes so somehow 
Um, I, I don't even remember how I got this job. Someone told me, oh, you'd be great at this and it would be an easy way for you to make money to write the script. Here's a, here's a person, go and contact them. So um, I, would type, I would type up these scripts for these, like they called them in quotes, announcement lines. Anyway, I would type up the scripts and I would bring them in and the, and the guy would be like, do you have more? Do you have more? And it was, it was like, it was $5 a page, which in those days, you know, this was like, it was in, this was in either the late seventies or early eighties. So that was a lot of money. So I would extend like when someone was coming in the, you know, in the, in the scenario I was writing, I would make like a giant paragraph of, Ooh, ah. <laughs> And they they just paid me for that. <laughs> but so I'd be writing these things on 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 a typewriter, you know. And so one day I came in there and I brought all my pages in, and the guy was like writing me a check, and he's he's like, um, do you do you have? Can you get me some more of these? And I said, Oh sure, mom, I can get you some more. And he's like, Wait, you do accents? And I said, Yes. And he said, What can you do? So I started. I started talking like a cockney and, you know, I was like doing French and doing else. And he's like, can you go in there right now with that girl and record and we'll use your script? And I, I said, yeah, fine. And he's like, good, I'll, I'll pay you right, right after. So I went in there with the girl and I handed her my script and it was, so there was one of my, <laughs> there was one of my really loud coming segments like long and loud but the um the girl was pretty illiterate and even though we both had the type scripts I'd be going oh yeah baby oh well, come on yeah you know like just like trying to sound all sexy and she was holding the page and she was like oh ah yes that feels good and, and and then she went. Then she was reading what was supposed to be like this, like ecstasy noises. And she went, "Yes, that feels good." Err, 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 because because <laughs> it was supposed to be like you know. <laughs> and I started cracking up in there, and the guy got all mad. He's like, "God, God, God, what are you doing?" <laughs> Like he would have just let anything go on the thing, but <laughs> oh man, that poor thing. She she had no idea, not a clue. <laughs> um, but they used that. They used to also have. They, <laughs> I got in trouble for another phone sex thing right around that same time. I was working. I was writing like like um, like copies from copy for movie posters. Like I was the one that wrote. For Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, I was the one that wrote the line that was on the posters: "Two guys who can't spell rewrite history." <laughs> but that, that was me. But when I was working at that at the place where I was doing that, I had just discovered this. Um, they, there was all these like you know, phone sex call ups for men where they could hear recorded things, but they had just come out with one for women, and it was called Zeus. And so the, the the Zeus tapes would always start with, hello, my lady. Like, <laughs> you know, and, and, and so it was like, it, it was so sleazy. I mean, it was supposed to be like erotic and titillating, but it just, it was like a sleazy parody of itself. So at this film company, I started like, like I was putting in the inter-office memos, you have to call this, you know what I mean? And put the numbers up and, and the, the recordings would change every day. So 
<laughs> so everybody in the whole art department and all the creative departments, it didn't go to corporate people, but we were, everybody would call the Zeus line every fucking day to hear what new cheesy shit was, was on it. <laughs> and, then, and then about a month later, this, uh, I guess their phone bill went way up, like for the company, because... <laughs> We oh. circulated an inter-office memo and said, it has come to our attention that many of you are calling a so-called announcement line repeatedly. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like all threatening, like if they can trace it to your desk, you'll be fine. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, man. That went way off topic. <laughs> I got in trouble once in an office. I was I was at a I had a it was like a temp job just out of college, and would and I I mean I hated it. Like I did a number of like little office like temp office jobs. This is the reason why I'm a witch now and a psychic because I could not work a normal job. I was just I, you know I was too weird and like. I had, I had this one office job. I can't even remember now which company it was. And I, you know, I think it was just data entry or some boring thing like that. And it was the, my last day. And so I had found a bunch of, they had, it was, this was early, this was in the nineties. So late, late nineties. So like, um, or mid to late nineties. So I had like, there was like early internet, you know what I mean? It wasn't yeah. like the internet, like it is now, but you could find forums and news groups and things like that that had spells so because I was in the office and I had access to the internet I went and I you know, you know when I wasn't working I'd be like trying to find information on witchcraft and and sometimes I would actually get caught up in flame wars and argue with people but um <laughs> but I decided on my last day to print out like everything that I had saved <laughs> so so I'm like, you know, I didn't, it didn't even occur to me that that would be a problem. But it was like pages and pages and pages and pages of stuff. So I just sent it to the printer, didn't worry about it, figured I, you know, I collected it at the end of the day. And the next thing I know, I get the the guy, the manager of my, you know, my department comes knocking on the cubicle and he's like, uh, so uh, the printer's been tied up for hours and he's like, you know, what, what exactly are you printing? What, what is this? And I was like, I mean, I could feel the heat of, you know what I mean? Just rise on my body and my whole face became beet red. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'll just stop it. Boop. You know, like I didn't even want to explain. I didn't yeah, yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, it's sorted out, you know? I mean, I, I'm here to say that um, any of my bands um, or early writing chat books, none of them would have gotten printed except for the fact that I was doing temp work. <laughs> it was all fly. I, actually, on Twitter, uh, like last week, I saw someone that said, shout out to anyone who um, who used their, um, their temp job to, to print out flyers. <laughs> In the, in the 70s and the 80s so we're, we weren't alone Melissa <laughs> <I'm> glad <laughs> we, we um my my roommate at the time who was in a band with me Iris Berry who's in, who she was the one that published Rock and Roll Witch she she got a job at Paramount and she she had um she just signed up you know 
to get interviewed for a job. They hired her and they gave her an office, but they didn't tell her what her duties were, who she was reporting to. And so, so much time had passed when they still weren't telling her. She was afraid to ask anybody in case they thought she was doing something wrong. So basically she was just, she would just go outside and watch the Fonz, Henry Winkler play basketball on the lot with other people. But um, then we used to go into Paramount. Thanks, Paramount. Um, every night, because it was pretty much down the street from where we were living. And we would make, we would just make nonstop chapbooks and flyers in there, like at night. And we'd, we'd go by the security guard and we would both just go, hi. And who was, who was going to think that like, you know, two pretty young girls in their early 20s were going to do anything? <laughs> I just figured we were like doing a night shoot or something, you know. <laughs> I love the Paramount lot. That's probably my favorite of all of the studios. That that lot to me has has a lot of like I don't know. It's, I think Hollywood it's magic. Yeah. It has it. It just it just emanates from it. Every year I go to um Oh, what is that called? Cine Lease, I think it's called, or something like that. Or Cine, no, Cine Gear. Cine Gear. It's when the all of the um, filmmaking vendors have their like big, you know, convention at it. And I and I always go. I mean, my my husband works in the film industry, so he has a legit reason to be there. I only peripherally have a reason to be there, but I kind of like just to go so I can be on the lot and wander around and just vibe it out, you know. And I would love to do a paranormal paranormal investigation, investigation at Paramount. I know that's how, that's how I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> done a paranormal investigation since um before the pandemic. We should do one together somewhere sometime. Oh my God. Yes. I think I'm going back to the Glen Tavern Inn in, uh, with the spirit realm network in a couple of months. That would be fun. You should come with us. Cause that'll tell, be... tell everyone about how haunted that place is. They may not know. Oh gosh. Okay. So the Glen Tavern Inn is, um, what is that? Is that, is it Santa? It's not Santa Clarita. I always forget what town it actually is in, but it's, it's a little bit. Isn't it San Luis Obispo or one of those or hour i'd say it's about an hour north of la whatever the town is santa yeah. paula santa paula yeah santa something like i just popped in and we're like hello it's santa paula um so yeah santa paula so many many years ago there was a, a dam that broke and flooded the whole area and hundreds if not thousands of people died tragically in that event and so and all of the water flowed down to where the Glen tavern is so it became, and if, and if you know anything about like, you know, hauntings and, and spirits and things like that, water is, a, is conductive. So anything, any, especially moving water, it really stirs up spirit, yeah. that spirit activity. So it, you know, it stirred it all up and it brought all these poor souls down to this area and you can, you can feel them in there. But not only that, that's just the sort of the foundation of the spirits there. There's, it's also, there's been so many, it's been, had so many different uses over the years that um, they built it because it's really close to a train station. So at first it just housed anybody who came off the train so that you, you know, you got attracted all kinds of characters there and those energies oh, are wow. still there. <laughs> oh, yes. Wow. And then later on, as Hollywood started to sort of expand more into other, you know, further areas, and especially that area up there is where they shot a lot of like Westerns and stuff. Yeah. So they rent that, that place out 
and a bunch of different old Hollywood celebrities would stay there. So Houdini used to rent out the whole top floor many times and um, Rin Tin Tin was even Oh my there, God, I, I was obsessed with Rin Tin Tin. Rin Tin Tin stayed there? Yeah, so and there's all these different, and I forget like all these other different people. Um, my 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 Wait, watch just, I was just gonna say, did you just hear a man's voice? Now your watch is talking to us. I know. I'm telling you, Mercury retrograde is making all of my electronics go. Even though I've tried to turn everything off, did your watch just, say I'm sorry. It did. My I watch. <laughs> This is what's happened. This is my, this has been my Mercury retrograde. Everything is just, (laughs) but anyway, so this location is super haunted. And the last time that I was there, I did, um, I did a paranormal investigation and we got so much good stuff. We got like, you know, we got really clear EVPs. Um, you know, we, we kind of started, we started with me. So as a medium, I go into these locations without knowing anything. And I just vibe the place out. I just wander around and say, okay, I feel something here. I feel something here. And then we grab all of the people who the investigators with the gadgets, you know, we have, I have Cheryl and Mikey, they helped. And then my friends, um, Natasha, who's sadly no longer with us and Mike and, um, uh, Tim, and then my other friend, Misha, we all investigated together sort of like half psychic mediums, half gadget people. Yeah. And, but all of us intuitive really, but you know, that, so I would feel something and then they would, I'd be like, I'm getting a ringing in my ear. So they pull out the EVP and record because if I'm getting a ringing, someone's trying to talk, but I'm not hearing it clearly. So maybe we'll record the sound, you know, or we'll have like, um, if I feel, feel a hot spot or a cold spot, we get out and, you know, check the temperature and we got so much evidence in that location. It was ridiculous. We even had this whole crazy narrative of like some dominant um, male spirit that was sort of trying to control the other spirits there and trying to keep some woman trapped. And we got that a woman was murdered there um, and her spirit was sort of trapped there by this dominant male. But then we also got like another male that was like not as dominant, but loved the woman and wanted to help her and keep her away from I mean it was crazy like I could like write so like a soap opera just about this location just with the crazy lives that these spirits are leading you know but so I you know anybody who's into paranormal investigations go and stay at the Glen Tavern Inn because it, it will get you <laughs> and anybody who's who's maybe not into paranormal investigations just know that you've got if you have a chaotic life here on earth nothing much is going to change when you when you cross over to spirit mill <laughs> it's true it's so true <laughs> like they were gossiping about each other and three thruples breaking up well this that's so I also have a series coming up. I'm I'm going to be teaching mediumship for witches soon, and it starts. I'll have everyone where and when in case in case oh, yes. you're local to Los Angeles. Or is yeah, it so on Zoom is it going on Zoom as well? It is. It's going to be hybrid. So um, my past several classes have only been Zoom. So this is my first in-person class since the pandemic started. So we'll have um, in-person and Zoom, and it's going to be at the Green Man Store in North Hollywood on Lankershim and it starts October 4th. It goes for six weeks, but it skips November 1st. It's on Wednesdays at 7 30 PM. It skips November 1st because that's the day after Halloween. And I don't yeah. expect anybody to go to a class the day after Halloween, 
But, um, but basically, like I teach people how to tap into and uh, hone their innate mediumship abilities, because I believe everybody is born with the ability, some just more than others. So I'm, it's, it's mediumship training, but it's also with witchcraft. So we'll do spells and stuff like that, that help enhance your mediumship, but your mediumship also helps enhance your witchcraft. Cause you know, it's all about working with spirits when you, when you're trying to do anything, they, they make every spell that I have ever done in my life before I realized that I wanted, that I could incorporate spirits, they would work, but not as well. But as soon as I started incorporating mediumship into my witchcraft, it's like, Oh my God, that it just takes off, you know? So I'm going to be helping people to, to better channel and communicate and stuff like that. And it also helps with if you're into things like paranormal investigations, like I know a lot of people who don't call themselves psychic mediums, but they love ghost hunting. And my thing is like, well, you can use it, you know, learn to tap in to your mediumship when you ghost hunt, because then you're going to know where to collect evidence. You know, that's why, that's why teams use me because I'm leading them to the hot spots in this, in the location, but you can learn to do that yourself. So that's like, my whole thing is I just want to teach everybody to, to talk to their spirits because it's a great time. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty wild. And what about, what about, um, do you work with gods and goddesses as well? I do. Yeah. I have a whole pantheon that I, that I work with that I've been collecting since I was little before I even knew what I, why I was collecting them. <laughs> Hashtag me too. <laughs> You know, like when I was little, I was, you know, first it was Athena. I was just because of the whole Greek mythology and I just had a particular affinity for Athena. So she stuck with me for a while. And then I started to get into um, like Lord of the Rings and stuff like that. So I started getting into um, runes and then that led me down a Norse, you know, track. And so then I started to have a connection with Odin. And over time, I also... I've always also always been connected to the to the ocean and water. So I have like a Neptune thing going on. And then a few years ago, I went through sort of a, a, I don't know, existential crisis, I guess. And during that time, Isis really came to me. And my my I had studied Egyptian magic in the past, but it was too potent for my skill level at the time. And so I had sort of a renaissance period of that where like the Egyptian magic came back and and it wanted to work with me again. And it was all through ISIS and that opened up another doorway. And then I have a fifth one. So for a while it was just the four and I felt like I had, I thought that was my team, you know? And then a fifth one came in a couple of years ago and that was Hecate. And so- Hecate yeah, so, that she she is pretty much the goddess of witchcraft and magic and yeah she Hecate is the shit hi Hecate she is yeah <laughs> but she and in fact while we're before we even started I sat down with this giant I have like a what giant, a giant I, that, <laughs> so you, you guys that are listening that's one of Hecate's um that's that's one of her her things and so it's like hounds or hounds of hell and also torches like every totally. every god or goddess that you get involved with or even if you're not involved with them they they all have their um their own little like 
props and quirks and um, symbols. They do, that. and it's weird when I, when I discovered keys. I've always been obsessed with old-fashioned keys. Me and I've too. Always... I've had those since I was little. Same, and it's like, and I, I and people would be like, "Why do you collect those?" And be like, "I don't know. I just they're cool. I like them. I don't know. They have good energy." And um, and then I learned that keys were her thing because it's you know she had she holds the keys to the underworld to the spirit realm, and so through Hikate you can experience that's another way to experience spirits you know so I always like invoke her in my classes too because I think of her as like the you know the guardian at the gateway you know I know what I think is interesting about tarot cards the um the hierophant or the pope at the bottom of it there's crossed keys on the Rider Waite Smith and on any deck that references that deck you know I noticed that. I thought that was crazy because I've always said that I I think the Vatican is like the biggest coven on earth. Oh, totally. I would give my just about anything. Go to to the Vatican. Yes, I want to get into their library. You know what I mean? I want to see the hidden stuff. I've been to the Vatican in like I went, you know, as a tourist, you know, and, and you wait in line forever and you practically pass out in the heat of the August sun while you're waiting in line to get into the the darn thing. But like when I was in there, all I could think was, you know, the art and everything is beautiful, obviously. But I was like, I want to get to the library. I want to see what like ain't you know that they have ancient book of books of shadow in there. Book, book oh of yeah, shadow. or like Sumerian <laughs> scripts or like stuff from ancient Egypt and Rome. And I mean, yeah, I mean, storm the Vatican, <laughs> right? Because I'm we yeah, astral project into the Vatican. <laughs> like remote view of the different books yeah. like <laughs> like I'm still mad about the library of Alexandria you know what I mean I so <laughs> like that's the next to me that's like the next you know massive library that has so you know, it has so much information and I feel like I feel too like the pope and the top people at the Vatican I feel like they know way more than they ever let on to the oh, general public. Totally. Yes. For sure. Because they have yeah. to I mean that like the Vatican is a good thing to base a cult on. <laughs> yeah, oh totally. You know, and like and I, and because like they also talk about okay, so I'm gonna go really sideways for a second. Like I've read a couple of things where the Vatican is basically like, you know, aliens and us and humans can coexist like the the simple presence of aliens or aliens being real doesn't suddenly negate you know all these centuries of of religion and you know things like that so i'm like does the vatican already know that aliens are real it doesn't the vatican doesn't the vatican have like some kind of their own like space program or like Something, some maybe not not space program like they're sending priests up into into orbit. But I mean, that wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> but um, I think they have some kind of a, a thing that has to do with with outer space. I, I'm blanking out on this right now, but it's like it's not just an observatory. It's something something that's a little bit more than that. Um, I don't know. Now I, I have to Google this right when this episode is done. And and if you guys are listening and you think I'm insane, look it up because I know there's there's something in there. I just didn't realize we were going to get into the Vatican on this episode. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have read up on it. 
No, you never know where. Oh, I'm Googling it right now. Vatican Telescope. Oh my God, they do have a Vatican space. This is a real thing. Yeah, I am telling you, I knew it wasn't an urban legend. Look at, you guys can't see Melissa, but I can't. Her mouth just dropped (laughs) like five stories. I'm looking at it. It's like the Vatican has a space program called the, I'm not sure how to pronounce this, S-P-E-I Satellites Mission, which translates to Guardian of Hope. The program aims to send a miniature digital book containing a message from Pope Francis into space. <laughs> I told you. <laughs> crazy. Oh, here we go. The nano book will be launched on June 10th, 2023. Aboard oh, so space it just happened. Just happened. That's freaking see. They know. They already know. <laughs> They're getting ahead of it. <laughs> They're like, we're not letting any other religion get the aliens. Right. They're all gonna <laughs> colonize Mars. <laughs> it's like, okay, the crusades are still going. The empire never ended. Okay. I was obsessed with the Crusades when I was little. To I mean, beyond obsessed, were you? Oh, totally obsessed. I think the yeah. Children's Crusades, you know, because I was a little child then. There's, there's something I, I, I've been weirdly obsessed with, like through through my own life here. That I think it has to do with past lives. I used to pray to Merciful Allah at the fucking dinner table when I was like three and four, when my when my mom was a non-practicing Jew and my father was a non-practicing Mennonite. And I would be very seriously praying to Allah. I mean, they also let me have a caterpillar on the table with me. His name was George after after George Harrison. So, so that gives you the timestamp on this insanity. But yeah, You know, it's funny because I had like, I've always been sort of obsessed with the Crusades as well. I've always been obsessed with like, just that whole, you know, the whole, that whole time period. And a few years ago, I, well, I've been to Italy a couple of times, but I felt it, I connected more with that part of my past life, whatever it is, when I was in France, because I went to the Cathar region of France and the Cathars were a famous um, religious group who they were, they were basically considered heretics to the Catholic Church. So the Catholic, they just wanted to wipe them out entirely. And, you know, there's some things that we know about Cathars. There's some things that were were lost. There's a lot of things that are assumed about the Cathars um, that we, you know, people say is real, but we don't really know if it's real or not. But when I was in that area and I went to this uh, broken down uh, castle in Mostagor, and when I I had I kept having these weird waves and flashbacks and I felt like like I, I was like oh my gosh like I think I was here before like did I get wiped out by the damn crusades you know <laughs> so yeah. like I wouldn't be and I wouldn't be surprised if the same thing happened to you I know because ever since I was really really little I, I was obsessed with the crusades yeah <laughs> Not not on a regular childhood level, you know. I didn't know anything about them, and I tried to find out stuff. And when I found out that there was children in them, that I was shocked because that oh. for me that was like during Vietnam War time, you know. Like, and there was there was no such thing as children in that war fighting. I mean, obviously, a lot of children got got um, involved in it, not in a positive way, but the, yeah. The whole crusades, you know, 
you and I could talk for this. This podcast could be like five hours long. I know. <laughs> um, let's see. Is is there like one other thing that that you can think of that you'd like to talk about? Oh gosh, my oh, of course. Once you say that, my mind goes totally. <laughs> yes, of course. I know. <laughs> you know, I think you know. I think we covered it. I feel like we talked about everything. I'll probably think. What? I was going to say, I'll probably will hang up and I'll be like, oh, darn, I should have said blah, blah, blah. But I think we got everything. Let's talk about one other thing, though, like cats and witches. How do you think the connection is? Because you're the only other craziest cat lady witch that I know. Although everyone I know that's into witchcraft loves cats. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, because I grew up on farmland, I, I was surrounded by cats ever since I was like born. And we, you know, my grandma had the outdoor farm cats and my mom also had a bunch of cats and her in the house. And ever since I was little, I could hear cats. Like I could, like, and it's not so much here. It's not like they were speaking English to me, but I would just know. I would just need it. Yeah. Like I would just know. And I would, and I would sit there and I would have whole conversations with them. And you know, people would be like, oh, you're so funny how you make up these conversations. And I'm like, I'm not making up anything. I'm respond there. I'm res- we're, we're having it's a two way conversation. We're having, you know, we're 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 talking. And then, you know, I had cats for a while. But then when I went to college, you know, I didn't have them that whole time. I moved out to L.A. And I lived in Koreatown. And I swear every darn alley cat that lived in Koreatown found yeah. yeah. And so I would find eventually at one point, I think we had 13 cats in a one bedroom apartment because <laughs> I, I rescued a couple litters. So, you know, I was trying to find homes and it was, it was a lot. And I, I had swore that I would never do that again. Then we moved to the Valley and then they all found me again. <laughs> but at least now you're not in a one bedroom place. Yes. Now they have their own. In fact, they have their own bedroom. Uh, in my house, it's a, it's the cat room. Whenever people come over and they see the cat room, they're like, I thought you were joking. I can't believe you actually have a cat room. <laughs> my whole, my whole place is a cat room. I, d- I just had, um, I did uh, that a, a couple of weeks ago on the night before the, um, the last new moon, I went to sleep and I woke up, um, and my main takeaway from, from dreamland was that I owned a Siamese cat, right? So that dream was so vivid and so real. And then a few hours later, my neighbor called me and said, come over, I want you to see something. So I went over to his house and um, he brought me into the back room where he kept all his artwork and paintings and progress. And um, he opened the door and this little tiny weensy Siamese kitten came out and he said, can you help me find a home for her? And I just said, I'll take her. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, her name is Luna and she is, the- she's here. <laughs> I, it's funny. I also, so my whole life, I always wanted a Siamese cat. And I always thought I'll never have one because I'm always taking in these rescues. You know what I mean? So I ne- I'm never going out and choosing a cat. I'm just, I, they're choosing me. You know, yes. and over the during the pandemic, um, you know, everyone was losing their minds and, you know, depressed and blah, blah, blah. So 
I, I kind of like put a call out to the universe, like, you know, bring me some glimmer of hope. And this cat showed up in my yard who is a, a calico, like a full blown, like a long, fluffy furred calico cat. And she was pregnant and she gave birth to two kittens. And when they first came out, they were just these dinky little white balls. You know what I mean? Just like little, yeah. little, they, and they gave birth like right in my front yard. Yeah. And so I immediately started to go into action. Like, okay, let me build like a little shelter for them in the back, a place where they can go and be safe. And as the, and I thought they were just little albino kittens, but then over time they started to develop the Siamese point features. Yeah. And I, Oh, you know? <laughs> oh my god the universe has blessed me with a Siamese cat and from a freaking calico like how does that even happen you know so it's so funny how we have these weird parallels like we were both meant to have Siamese cats and are as like part of our little familiar armies that's so crazy that and I do so wild do you think they are familiars? I've I've had arguments with people about this, and I understand why some people have vastly different views, and and that's okay. That's the thing about witchcraft is that there's many paths, you know. But like, you know, I've had some people say that familiars can't be pets because they're spirits that exist outside of pets, and then I've had other people say you don't want your pets to be your familiars because the familiar's job is to take the brunt of a psychic attack or what have you to protect you from them. And of course you wouldn't want your precious pet to be hurt by that. And of yes, but I don't really, but to me, I, and I have a lot of cats. So I have like a ton of cats in my house right now. They're all rescues. And I would say half of them are pets and half of them are familiars. And you can kind of tell the difference because some of them are just kind of like, whatever, you know, like I live here and you give me food and we have a nice arrangement, but I don't really care about what you're doing. But I have a couple of other cats. Every single time I do a, a spell, they are all over me. You yeah. know, they're yeah, mine, they're, mine too. They're, they're like really into magic that yeah. Luna hasn't really experienced that yet because it hasn't been that long, but. Oh, she's going to bring it though. She's going to bring powerful magic. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I think she's gonna wind up being the dominant cat of the house. But right now, it's kind of like Jurassic Park—the size of the other cats compared to her. <laughs> <laughs> she's like a little mouse. Yeah, she's a baby. Well, anyway, it was it was really really nice to talk to you. It was incredible, you guys. That was Melissa St. Hilaire, and we could have. This could have been like a five episode podcast, <laughs> but um, isn't she fabulous? We will, we are going to leave and maybe take this offline and to you guys, stay tuned for the next episode of The Devil's Music. to see and when I look in my window so many different people to be they're strange so strange it's very strange to me you got to pick up every stitch 
The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.